Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 187 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is September 19th, 2011. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We've got Harvey Hyde in the first segment. We've got Dan Weber coming up in the second segment. They were both up there in the press box for USC's 38-17 victory over the Syracuse Orange. And we're going to talk all about that. We've got a bunch of your questions we're going to answer on the show. And if you have any questions or comments, please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's podcast at uscfootball.com. We'd love to answer your questions and hear from you. And you could also call us, 206-888-6755. Leave a voicemail. We can play that voicemail right on the air. And you can hear the answer from Coach Hyde, Dan, myself, Gerard, whoever's on the show. You can hear it right on the podcast. So without further ado, let's bring in Coach Harvey Hyde who was definitely there in the press box checking out the victory over Syracuse. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Well, good morning, everyone, and thank you very much for uh, Brian. Uh, Brian, uh, allow me to come on. I tell you, it's uh, getting the heat up now with the uh, Trojans as far as now going on the road for the first time this year and playing uh, playing in what I think is going to be a very hostile environment. Sun Devils losing at Illinois uh, isn't something they expected. They wanted to play USC undefeated. But it was a uh, interesting weekend in the Coliseum and in college football, and I really am getting uh, looking forward to doing the podcast. I, I want to say one thing too, Ryan. I want to thank the listeners out there because when I'm at the game, so many people come up to me and say, "Hey, I love the podcast, uh, Coach," and this and that. And I really don't uh, have that opportunity to spend a lot of time with you, but I do want to say thank you very much for the comments. I really appreciate it. One gentleman came up to me, Ryan, and asked me. How's your dog? In fact, it was Guy. <laughs> I remember his name. How's your dog, Cece? Yes. And I have to just pass on all this to our listeners that Cece's not here anymore. Cece is, uh, was 17 years old, and she is uh, gone. So I wanted everybody to know it was uh, very hard on me. And for all of you that have dogs, you know exactly how that is. But uh, I wanted to let everyone know that uh, CC's in a better place right now with all our buddies, okay? All right. Well, we'll miss hearing her, Coach, and I'm sorry to hear that about CC. I did not know that. Um, but that's, yeah, and Guy does have a – he has a voicemail question coming in today. We'll get to that. And I wanted to uh, thank our sponsor before we get into anything, Coach, uh, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. Hopefully people got some tickets for the first three home games. If you need tickets for any of the remaining games, seven, there's four more home games you can get tickets to or any of the away games as well, 1-800-888-7287. Tickets for any kind of USC sporting event or any sporting event anywhere in the country, concert, if you want to go to the theater or anything like that, you can go to sctickets.com and, and check that out, Coach. And uh, I want to thank you for having me on your show, Coach, uh, on Thursday night. We had a lot of fun. And you can actually, on peristylepodcast.com, you can check that out. There'll be a link to Harvey Hyde's latest show. And uh, I was the, the special guest, so it was nice to uh, chat football with you. You could ask me questions. and We, we turned the tables a little bit. And it was fantastic having you on. I really enjoy it. I like the way you presented everything you had. I uh, just loved asking your questions and letting you talk because 
I'll tell you, Ryan, you're there every day. You're in and out. You know the players. You talk to them daily. And I think it's important sometimes you have an opportunity to talk and uh, give your feelings and your opinions on what's going on and what the players are saying and so on. So I think that's valuable. And anytime you want to come on, please let me know. Thank you, Coach. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm mostly like kind of the moderator and do you know talking about stuff. But you know, I'm there. I'm there all the time too. And uh, but it's fun to uh, you know put your opinion on stuff. And the the good thing was, Coach, we actually had uh, Matt Barkley on our UStream show um, earlier that day. So it was there was a lot of great stuff from him that I could kind of share. He was really forthcoming, and it was uh, fun to have him on. And um, Coach G mentions that in his. Uh, for, we have a question here from Coach G. Uh, he was really impressed with the show. Uh, on, on and my, but with uh, Matt Barkley on the Ustream show. So if you want to check that out, it's on peristylepodcast.com right now. But it was a lot of fun, and we appreciate Matt coming on there. But he thought, Coach G, you know, it's going to be pretty critical, Coach. Um, but he thought the Utah game was the best called game on offense and defense in the last five years. Wow. So, uh, But he was still not pleased with the defensive calls they had against Syracuse. The question for you, Coach, is when will Coach Kiffin adjust to the college game with his NFL philosophy defensively um, you know, whatever happened to the following uh, defensive religions, DP, DBs backpedaling, keeping a three-yard cushion between he and the receiver, the free safety being the deepest man on pass plays, DBs being taught to always play pass first, and Ds and uh, outside linebackers maintaining outside containment, keeping the quarterback on their inside shoulder and staying home for reverses and throwbacks. In other words, Coach, the secondary on when you know where they're going to coach the secondary on the art of fundamentals, including defensive ends and outside linebackers as well. Soft zone and lack of consistent blitzing with man coverage is mind blowing. When will this coach get it? So that's Coach G. What do you th- what do you think about his question there? I think Coach G is coaching secondary somewhere. <laughs> he is coaching secondary. He's got some real technical things there, and that's true. The way you play man and so on is exactly the techniques he's talking about and, and, and the, the positioning that you try to take, playing the guy inside or outside and facing him and watching his belt buckle and uh, following down the field, look for the football and the whole thing. Uh, USC primarily is a, wants to run a cover two. It's a cover two cover, which means a rotation uh, on the outside in the middle of the field is somewhat wide open. There isn't a, a safety in the middle of the field, and I think this is where teams have hurt them in the middle of the field with – and I think that uh, Arizona State has really got to uh, take advantage of that unless they make sure of that because there's a lot of drag routes that come through the middle of the field and so on. I've always believed and I've always loved to play cover one, which is man defense with a free safety, man up blitz, be the aggressor on defense, keep uh, disguising what you're going to do, and uh, attack. I like to be on defense, offense when I'm on defense. That's just been my philosophy. Uh, sometimes the philosophy that some coaches have is bend, don't break, and that that has worked. But I think right now what's happening with option games in the middle of the field and so on, you give uh, a lot of running room, too. If a back breaks through the middle of the field on a short play or a, a, a play inside the tackles, there isn't anybody there really to support as much because those, those DBs are, are back deep trying to cover the pass or rotating or whatever's going on. T.J. McDonald makes a lot of tackles as a safety, uh, and sometimes you get fooled, like that play that that uh, with Syracuse used. You know, they're absolutely immediately playing a swing route, and the receiver came off and gave a little bit of a fake and was wide open. Now, that can happen to anybody. Don't get me wrong. But that's what you call aggressiveness. 
wanting to leave your assignment too early, get up there and make the play, make the tackle. So uh, I think he is right on a lot of that as far as his theory. Now, uh, Coach Kiffin has his theory on what he thinks work and so on. And me making the the call and when is he going to make an adjustment, I, I'm not in that position, and I don't have that understanding of what they're doing there to, to say uh, he's not understanding the college game. All I'm saying is there are some things uh, – in the past secondary and run defense, that I think there's some concerns. In the first half of the of the Syracuse game, I think Syracuse receivers dropped five passes or something, which could have been big plays, big plays against the defense. So my feeling is I I like to pressure more, play man, and really when they really Nesbitt, Nesbitt when they got him really shook up was at the end of the game when they were applying a lot of pressure and going after him. That's when he threw the ball away. That's when he threw the ball out of bounds. That's when he tried to force the ball. And he wasn't the same guy. So when you put pressure on a guy, it really disrupts his rhythm and so on. And that's what you have to do to a, to a pretty good quarterback. So I agree with Guy as far as pressuring and playing more man defense. But, of course, Coach Kiffin has his philosophy. He's done well with it. There are different ways of playing defense. But I think there's areas in that defense that really need to be sorted up. I think the pass rush is not what it should be when you rush four. They seem to lose contain. This week, uh, Nick Perry really wasn't in the game. This Justin Pugh, the big tackle, 67 for Syracuse, kept him really out of the game. Uh, we got a little bit more pressure from Kennard this past weekend and Horton. But uh, and you, you really the only way they put pressure on people is the stun or blitz or something, and and uh, when you do that, you you better be playing man behind it or some type of zone where you don't have a bunch of holes. So I agree with uh, some of the things guys saying. And guy, I know you've coached somewhere. Otherwise, well, that's Coach G. Be able... That was Coach G, not Guy. Guy, okay. Guy's Coach coming G? up next. Coach okay, G. Coach G. Coach G. Okay, I'm gonna call him Coach G. He's, he's, he's coached somewhere, but those are, those are good terms that he's using. All right. Uh, well, you mentioned Guy. Let's get. We have a question from him, too. It's kind of more of a comment, but here you go. This is from Guy. Hello, all my very good friends. This is Guy from Lake Balboa. As I told uh, Coach Hyde, I would identify myself if I called in this week. And uh, I just want to say, I, I just want to express gra- my gratitude to Co- Coach Hyde for his warmth, for his uh, knowledge, and because the game went, because the game went so well, according to the principles that he had set down so many so often on, on this show, uh, spreading the wealth, uh, getting the balls to the tight ends, um, uh, not uh, just doing bubble screens and. Uh, uh, we all know the, we all know the drill, uh, crossing patterns and uh, and uh, vertical game, and uh, I, I was so thrilled that uh, we we showed that we showed that kind of improvement, and I'm very grateful that we did, and I'm very grateful that there is a Harvey Hyde and uh, <laughs> and that uh, he is with uh, uh, USCFootball.com. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful day. Well, Guy, thank you very much. Uh, do you want to introduce me at every speaking event I have? Uh, <laughs> he does a, He does a great job at that. Uh, but I, I appreciate those comments. And, and if you are a regular listener, you have heard me talk a lot about not forcing the ball always to, 
to Woods. You've got to spread the field. You've got to throw the ball down the field. And they did do that this week. They didn't do it uh, maybe to the fullest. I hope that they now develop it and they continue with that as far as using the middle of the field and spreading the field and using your backside receivers. They threw one to Lee, which was a nice touchdown pass on a fly or a streak route. But can you imagine them double covering Wood and Woods and you have the tight end that way? They use Ellison more, and I mentioned they need to use him more as far as in the pass routes, but also he's got a lot of experience too down the middle of the field but and curling up and sliding to the open area. You start running your tight end down the middle of the field, and all of a sudden they're going to rotate to the middle of the field with their safety. You just pull him up, and you run a curl route. And all of a sudden they're covering deep, and now you've got a curl route, and the tight end slides to the open area. Now also what you do is you come out and run him down the middle of the field and break him to a corner route. You take Woods and you put him on an out route, and now you have those two receivers. But what that's done to the backside, Lee or whoever that receiver has a deep post route or a post route, and there'll be nobody there. There'll be no body there. So what you need to do, and I liked it when they had five receivers catching touchdown passes this past week because I wasn't so concerned with Barkley's five touchdown passes, which was tremendous. I was concerned and more with five different people catching touchdown passes. But now if you're a defensive coordinator, you say, uh-oh, they discovered these other guys. Because they are great players, and you've got to put them in a position to where they can utilize their talent. So now what you do is you develop what you've been doing, and you take it a step farther, and you start to utilize the middle of the field. I think Arizona State will probably play some man against uh, USC, and if they do, then all these routes will be absolutely fantastic. Because if my guy is better than your guy and it's one-on-one, i got a chance. That's what you recruit for. That's why you try to get the better player. Crossing routes are especially great and tremendous against um, uh, man defenses. Also, I think you've got to keep pounding away with the run. The play-action pass has been good, but if you give it up, like in the first half, they really did give up on the run. They only rushed for 26 yards in the first half. Then your play-action pass isn't as good. The reason for that is the linebackers and everybody know it's play-action pass, but you've given up on the run. And safeties and defensive backs read through the receivers to the offensive linemen and see how their technique is in blocking. If they step back first, then you know it's a pass. You can read right through the line to the quarterback. So you've got to be able to put in that some type of uh, delay draws, counter draws, things that hold people at, at home. Now, they ran that one reverse play, which I thought was tremendous when uh, they ran the reverse, but they were pursuing so fast, and we came back, or they came back, and I don't know how many yards uh, SC made, 15, 20 yards on that reverse, and that keeps people at home, so people can't pursue as fast. Uh, a couple of those other plays I didn't agree with down on the goal line, that lateral pass forward, whatever that is, but normally down there on the 10-yard line, you run north and south. And you have to develop in the goal line offense of some type. Their best short yardage play is this quarterback sneak. And that, and that's, that's not going to last long. Okay, Barkley does a great job at it. They run out of the huddles and they get a quick count and they get the first down. But you've got to be able, when you get down there with a first down in the 10 yards, have the confidence in your offensive line that you can run the football in and not run laterally because there's no field. You're on the 10-yard line, there's 20 yards of field. And you're running laterally, throwing the ball forward. And poor Woods, you have to plant or you're going to run right out of bounds. Before you go forward, you have, he's running 30 yards before you make a yard. So uh, those are little things that I, that I see as a coach, and it's just my opinion. And, of course, uh, they run it for a purpose, but I don't agree with them.
All right. Uh, well, Coach, I wanted to get some of your thoughts on the game. Um, did you have uh, particular players of the game or player or players of the game uh, against Syracuse? That, you know, USC came out, obviously put in a, a pretty good effort all around and played most of the, the four quarters, unlike playing just a half. Who were, your, who were the guys that you thought stood out? Well, obviously, if you're going to give an offensive player the, of the game, you've got to give it to Barkley. I think you really do. Uh, I think the the play of the game, if you're going to say a play of the game, I like the Marquise Lee touchdown pass, four three-yard touchdown pass. Uh, I just like that on third down. I, I just like that when they came back to the backside and they hit the kid, built up his confidence, and they went away from everything they'd been doing and threw back and hit a receiver that uh, they haven't been throwing too deep. He's, this kid can run, man. And you've got to utilize him and, and use comeback. Off-the-fly pattern, when you go deep like that, you know what routes you have off of that. You've got the comeback. Pretend you're a defensive back. Here comes Lee off the line of scrimmage. Comes off the line of scrimmage. You don't know if he's going deep, but you better play deep. He plants, comes back, you throw to his spot. How do you cover that? Or he comes back and runs a curl. Or he gives the outside move to run a fly, and he plants and comes back and runs a post. Wow! I'll tell you, I wouldn't want to be the defensive back that has that assignment with either Woods or Lee or Carswell or Butler or anyone when you're out there one-on-one like that with those type of things. So I like that. I'm going to make that sort of the play of the game. There were some great plays, but I like to see that as the play of the game. Probably the defensive player of the game, Deion Bailey. I'm really excited about this kid. He's a redshirt freshman playing a position that he's never played before. He's up there with the big guys, man, up to where you have to pound him away. And I tell you, you wait till next year. This kid will weigh 230, and he'll, he'll be an NFL linebacker. Not that he isn't a great player now, but he runs well. He can carry the weight. What did he make, eight or nine tackles? I mean, he's in the game, made a big uh, play, too. I don't forget what play it was, but made a big play. I, and I, and I, just, I just I like this kid. So I'm going to give him, and he's a freshman player, so he's going to be around a while that the defensive player of the game. I just think that uh, he deserved it and uh, had a sack, too. He had a sack, too, if I remember. He's number 18 for all of you that don't yeah. follow the Trojans. Uh, uh, as far as uh, others, you know you know who I think that might be the best defensive lineman on the team? You might say, oh, who is it? He doesn't play a lot, but when he plays, he makes things happen. I like George Uko. I like 90. I mean, not that Harris and these others aren't playing well. Don't get me wrong. But I tell you what, he is quick for a big guy. He is really quick. He is going to be the next superstar defensive lineman for USC. Not that they don't have great players, but he is going to be a flat superstar. Now, I guess they're supposed to find out today if Armstead is going to be able to play. And uh, that's Tuesday. Probably tomorrow, yeah. Tomorrow. Now, that is going to be great, too, but, you know, I don't know what type of shape he's in or, or where they're going to play him or any of that, but it's great to have an experienced player like that around. You know what I hate is when they put in the newspapers his options. If he can't play at the OC, he can transfer and play somewhere else, or he can go to the NFL. He goes, this. Heck, man, if he's going to play anywhere, he should play at USC. I don't like to see all those options put in there and get somebody thinking about leaving the Trojans and so on when he's been there that for as long as he's been there. And, uh, yes, we want him to be healthy when he plays. There's no question about that. But we had one player leave a year ago 
Jones, the linebacker, I think he transferred to Georgia, and he's playing down there. And, and I know the medical staff at USC is doing what they think they should be doing. But about this time, someone should know, is it or isn't he able to play? And if SC says he shouldn't play, then he shouldn't play anywhere. Because that's the best medical team in the country. So uh, I think that's that's my thoughts on that. I don't, I don't know what other question you asked me. I've, I've talked no, no, long. no. I've, that, that was definitely it. Um, but okay. there was also some questionable stuff that happened, like there was that timeout at the end of the game. I wanted to maybe get your coach's point of view on that. Well, you know, at the end of the game, you've won the football game. It's 38-17, and McNeil's carrying the ball, and you're going down the field and so on. Let's go back for a little bit before we get to that play. First of all, Barkley, if I was coaching that team, wouldn't have been in the game. You've won the football game. There hadn't been another quarterback that has snapped the ball the entire year. I, I don't know why he's in the game. Uh, you know, somebody, something could happen, and you can't lose him. But even giving someone some experience, I want to know who's the number two quarterback at USC. I have no idea. Who are they going to put in the game if something happens to Matt Barkley? What are they going to do? We were curious to find that out. <laughs> I, I, it's actually the truth. I think there should have been – a statement made there. If you didn't want to put the freshman in, but you're trying to redshirt him and hope that nothing happens, and so put John Manoogian in. He knows that offensive playbook. He can hand the ball off to to uh, McNeil, who was having a great uh, running uh, game there. So why not? Why not? Why not have John Manoogian or someone in the game? That's my first question. So I, my, if I was at a press conference, my hand would go up, and I would say, "Who's number two? I want to know who's number two and why." And when are we going to find out, or whatever? Next, the next thing is when you drive down the field there at the end of the game. I've heard different reasons on what happened, why they called the timeout. Uh, uh, that the clock was running down and they were going to get a delay game. So what? At the end of the game, so what? Get a delay game. Uh, calling a timeout, okay? Call a timeout. Kneel down. Call a timeout, run McNeil. And if you have Manoogian in the game and you throw the ball, I think no one says anything. But when you have Barkley in the game and you call a timeout and you try to throw the pass, what comes to your mind? Number one, they're trying to set a record or break a record. And I don't buy that. Records and all those things are made to be broken, don't get me wrong, but not at the expense of friends and kids on the other side of the field that have been longtime friends of USC, Daryl Gross, athletic director, a lot of people on the administrative staff, Orgeron is coach with Marone and with, uh, with the Saints. Uh, I don't like to see that. Then now, I guess the the GA who singles the, singles the plays in have singled the wrong play. And, oh, bull. <laughs> uh, don't, don't be giving me all that and laying it off. I mean, you can say whatever you want, but so on, but I'm, I'm going to tell you, it was a call to try to score a touchdown. Barkley shouldn't even been in the game to start with. Now, Manugian was in, and they threw, the, threw a pass and sacked him. No, would anybody say anything? No. You're not going to put your second team people in and say, okay, you're our second kid, kid. You've worked hard, but you can't do anything. Hey, if I was on the other sideline and Manugian threw a pass, I'd say, fine. Fine. He's a young kid that's been out there all this time and so on. Now, you know, there's different – Philosophies. My philosophy is, no, that shouldn't have happened. Uh, you can argue with me about it, uh, but uh, I don't think that should. I don't think he should have been in the game either. 
No, I agree with you, Coach, and there was a lot of controversy about that, obviously. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens going forward. We want to see if it's going to be Manugian coming in or if it's Cody Kessler or Max Wittick or whoever. I don't know. I even or, forgot who the other quarterbacks are. Yeah. and it, Well, and then Jesse Scroggins, who already redshirted, has been hurt, so he's still not available. So if you want to go with a guy that doesn't hurt his red shirt, you have to go with Manugian. He's a walk, you know, he's a walk on and he hasn't been getting, if they want to put him in, which people have been talking about, I don't get it because he doesn't get any reps in seven on seven or 11 on 11. That's where Kessler and Wittick get all the reps. But if you put one of those guys in, you burn their red shirt. Do you really want to do that? So it is a, a curious thing. We'll see. I mean, if they have a, even more of a blowout later on, then uh, I guess we'll get that question answered. But I was curious to see what would happen there. Um, I think people are into a little bit of stats here. Yes, okay? for sure. Stats, and, and I think that's wrong. You just play the game and, and win, and don't worry about what the stats are. I, I hear you 100%, Coach. Uh, well, I want to get to Juice's question. He's Juice in San Diego. He's a longtime listener and subscriber. He had a really long question. I'm going to try and <laughs> – it was almost a full page. So, Juice, you know, if you could keep it a little shorter, that would be nice. Uh, after three weeks, we are 3-0, and and I'm worried because we have shown some critical weaknesses at several key position groups. First, I want to compliment the improved linebacker safety and tight end play. Keep it up, men of Troy. But here's his, uh, his big issues. On the offensive line, he doesn't like the run blocking. He wants to see quicker runs and draws or screens. On the defensive line, he doesn't like the pass rush. Only Nick Perry's getting in the backfield. He wants more blitzes. Uh, corners, he doesn't like the, the coverage. They're too deep. He wants to get, get up there and bump and, run and bump and run and give the defensive line more time. And as far as Barkley goes, he's still making some poor throwing decisions. Uh, those are kind of his assessments of what's going on there. He goes into a lot more detail, but I don't, we don't have really time to go into all of that. But maybe give some of your thoughts, Coach, on what he's talking about, the offensive line, defensive line, corners, and Barkley. Well, uh, I think everyone, if you're a regular listener, has uh, heard me make comments on this before. I think you've got to have a series of have offensive run plays that you believe in. You don't have to have a lot of them, but you've got to execute them properly. They do not have a quick-hitting play. I mentioned it a moment ago. Their quickest-hitting play is the quarterback sneak. Their offense is all one that uh, starts off deep. You have Ellison at fullback, and, and basically I don't think he's a fullback in the eye. They play him there. You can't run any quick running plays to him. He's not, you know, normally your fullback is 5'11", 235 pounds. It'll block your head off and run quick plays and get that first down for you. He's not the physical size that fits the description of what a fullback is. So that takes away whenever you're in an eye that you're going to hand the ball off to Ellison. I don't think you're going to hand the ball off to him. So that there, when I look at that play, I say, oh, okay, it's the tailback and he's blocking or whatever, and he's pretty tall to be able to get under a linebacker to, to be able to block. They're going to put him in motion. He's primarily a receiver at his, as a fullback position. Uh, so you don't have any real quick-hitting plays uh, for short yardage or trap plays or anything to be able to uh, hope that uh, there's no penetration and you run by somebody that's penetrating, okay? Uh, I agree with that. Uh, I, I would like to see them really develop a power game. Uh, they don't have really a power game in their offense. They have the stretch and they have the straight-ahead eye play. I'd love to see them double down, pull the offside guard, lead through, uh, lead through with your fullback or kick out or kick out with the guard and lead through with the fullback, whatever the defensive end does and so on. 
I think you've got to have a play like that in your offense where people have to work and work and work to stop it, but you can't. You see Stanford weren't running it all the time, and other teams, I think, really think it's a very positive thing or an important thing to have in your offense. Uh, uh, as far as the offensive line itself, uh, as far as blocking, uh, I don't think they're an aggressive type of guys. I mean, I don't see guys uh, uh, coming off the football, but that's not what they're taught to do. They're, they're a zone-blocking team in most situations, so you don't see them in a short-yarded situation being real good at what they do. It's a delayed play when normally, so that's why they quarterback sneak on a short yardage down because they, they have confidence in it being quick and they can get that one yard with Barkley going forward. Uh, they don't stretch the defense much with their running game. Uh, they did with the toss against Syracuse, and sometimes the ends are playing outside where you can't do that. So that's where the power game comes in, so you run inside the ends. You can't let a team take your running game away because they're playing their ends or their linebackers in a certain position. If you play them here, we're going to do this. If you play them there, we're going to do this. So you've got to be able to then off of the running game that's working, be able to have your play-action pass going. Now, as far as the defensive side of the football, if you're going to play man, you've got to pressure. You can't play man. A guy can't cover a guy all day. So if you're going to play man defense, then you've got to pressure. And if you can't pressure with your front four guys, then what you have to do is you've got to cover with your linebackers because you can't cover all day. A guy can't run around with these great athletes all over the field. So if you're going to play man, you've got to pressure. And I don't think they've shown a lot of of, uh, let's say, good push and good pass rushing. And going into the game, uh, they had sacked an average of three sacks per game. They got three sacks again against Syracuse. Turnovers, uh, they haven't created the turnovers going in against Syracuse. They had one fumble and one interception. And I'm not quite sure what they got with Syracuse. I didn't really look at the stat to see what their turnover stat is. But they need to get turnovers. They need to be able to create opportunities for the offense, and so far the defense hasn't done that. No, I agree, Coach, and they, they do need to create that more, but I thought that in the beginning, the first half, Syracuse was in such a rhythm, and they were dropping. I mean, there wasn't a lot. It was like a two-step drop, and they were getting rid of the ball, uh, but I thought you know later in the game, especially when USC was able to put some points on the board, uh, they got some better pass rush, and they, you know it, it was – it was tough. They had like three or four really good drives for Syracuse, and it seems like they they were if it was scripted because it was the first drive out of half or the first drive of the game. Those scripted drives worked really well. Um, they got that trick play in and stuff like that in the beginning of the second half. But on the other ones where it, it didn't seem like they had as much time to prepare, it seemed like the USC defense did play a lot better. Uh, I think they're getting better. I do. Don't get me wrong. I think they are playing better, and I think Syracuse is a better football team than what a lot of people gave them credit to be. They're a bunch of hard-nosed kids, and I think Utah is a better football team than what people gave them credit to. You see the BYU score against Utah, 54 to what, 6? Wasn't that the score? 54 to 7, Utah beats BYU. BYU loses by one point the week before to Texas at Texas and beats Mississippi at Mississippi. So, And that was at Provo, if I remember correctly. So that yeah, they outscored them like do... forty to nothing in the second half. Yeah, and so so you know they've been able to uh, play, and that running back uh, Hill had a big day, and so did their quarterback. I think he threw for went through for two touchdown passes. So 
you know, you got it's hard to evaluate a team week to week, but you have to look at the opponent and what the opponent's strengths are and so on and and look at the film. And I don't have the tape or the film to look at to see what the performance of, of Marcus Martin was. I'm really interested. I tried to watch him, but then when you watch one individual, you miss the whole sequence of the play. I wanted to see just how he did in there. Most of the time, uh, he was blocking space on pass rush. He didn't have really anybody to block. And a man, I think he blocked pretty well. But I'm anxious to read or hear someone tell me their feelings have you heard Ryan what the uh, what the evaluation is he the number one left guard now or this week or have they made a change again? They have uh, it's a lot of ors listed on the depth chart. Um, he did have that a couple or stuff. I don't buy that or <laughs> stuff. You know that going into a... your big conference game and it's or 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 an or. He had a That's couple the penalties. Last name in the of these game. guys, Martin Orr. Yeah, I think he played pretty well, but there, there were there was definitely a couple penalties out there, and you know being third starting left guard in three games. Uh, they had to give him a chance like they kind of gave everyone else. So we'll see when you get, if Abe Markowitz is fully back this week, um, it might change things around. We'll watch practice tomorrow and kind of see where it is. It It's not really about what the coaches say. You just kind of have to watch practice. And when we see Marcus Martin getting all the first team reps on Wednesday and Thursday, then you know, okay, he's going to be the guy that's starting. When Mark Tyler was getting all the first team reps at tailback, then you know, okay, he's going to be starting. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens there. They put Galton in again. It seems like Galton is, uh, they don't mind having him in there. He's been in in every game. Uh, he's the one guy that has been doing that. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens. But with Abe Markowitz coming back, they might move things around a little. I'm not really sure, but we'll watch practice and find out. I'll tell you a kid that I'm really concerned about, and uh, I really don't want to see the team lose him as far as his morale and his great player, DJ Morgan. Just a great player and uh he's had the unfortunate uh uh thing happen to him fumbling the football and uh you know the the philosophy is there if you fumble you're going to come out and stay out not that mcneil didn't do well and so on but this is a kid that you got to save this is great talent next year we got to remember tyler's gone you got to develop a running back. Now, this Kevin York kid from Fullerton, J.C., is a hell of a player. He really is. And Printer had a pretty good game, too, as a bigger back down at Mission Viejo this week. But I'm going to tell you, nothing like experience. And D.J. is a great player. And I don't know how they're going to build his confidence up as now you're in conference play. But you got to put your arm around the kid. And you got to mother him a little bit. Otherwise, you're going to lose him. I mean, he's not. I'm not talking about transferring. I'm talking about mentally. So uh, I don't know if he's going to get any turns. You know, like you, you know, my philosophy: Taylor would never come out of the game. Tyler, yeah. Tyler would never come out of the game until it was over with. He would learn to do that because I'd want him to pound you to death every day. And you saw they ran him on a pass route down the sideline. That's beautiful too. They hit him. But how about putting him down the seam? You know what might happen down the seam when they're double-teaming your outspoke receivers and you run the tight end down the seam? Touchdown. And you have him chip off luck and come down the middle of the field? You don't think he might be open? Yeah. He was wide open on each sideline. I want want to see you tackle that horse running down the middle of the field, okay? You better pop a Popeye pill or something because I'm going to tell you right now, he's going to be running full speed. You better better hang on and hold and he trips. (laughs) Hang on for because a that's what you got to do is put him in those positions where he can pound you and he's sore on Monday because he's hit people. So, you know, these are things that I look as a coach and try to think of doing. It's easier said than done and so on. 
but you try to put your players in a position where you create a mismatch or you create an opportunity for them to demonstrate their skills. And that's what I, I that's only, I'm always thinking of that stuff. All right, Coach. Well, great stuff, and uh, thanks for everyone sending in the questions. And uh, sorry we took you a little long there, but there's obviously lots to talk about now that USC is playing games 3-0 and heading into uh, Arizona State hostile territory, so it should be fun. We'll look forward to talking to you again next week, Coach. Well, thank you very much, and for everybody out there, thank you for uh, calling in the questions and so on. We appreciate it very much. So, uh, Ryan, uh, have a great week. And, again, uh, let's thank Southern California Ticket Service. Yes, thanks to you, Coach. Thanks to Southern California Tickets and everyone else. We'll be back in 30 seconds talking with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're lucky enough to have Dan Weber on the line talking some USC football. Dan, crank it out the content after the games. If you haven't been on uscfootball.com, certainly check it out. Lots of photos, videos, stories by Dan, stuff on the, the young guys and notebooks from the game. Lots of great stuff if you want to know everything and anything about this USC football team. Dan Weber's the guy. Thanks for joining us, Dan. What's up? Oh, uh, I guess uh, today we get a little break and we'll uh, see how the, all the whole super conference thing plays out all over all over the place. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, one would think that it almost has to go that way, but you just never know. Uh, you you have to think that even a Texas. And maybe even a Notre Dame eventually just has to keep thinking, gosh, what if we get left out? You know, what if, it, you know, everything breaks and there's four secret super conferences and there's no room for us? And because uh, I'm thinking, like, you know, Notre Dame has to be impacted just by where do they play their other teams if the Big East goes or changes significantly. Uh, where does that leave Notre Dame and, you know, basketball and baseball and all the other sports? Uh, you know, does that push them a little closer to the Big Ten? You know, um, does Texas, you know, do they want to follow, let's say, if Oklahoma clearly is, has made the decision, does Texas want to follow them? Uh, maybe they do because then they don't have to get the blame for breaking up the Big 12. Or, you know, even if they try to save the Big 12, Will uh, ESPN and, you know, the people with the TV contract allow them to? You know, will they say, oh, yeah, you can bring in Louisville and Cincinnati, for example, and save the Big 12 to some extent? Uh, is that good enough? Uh, so uh, a, lot of, a lot of things going to happen, I think, in the next day or two that, that really uh, are going to be very, you know, very significant for, uh, for college sports. And who would have thought, although last year I think we were thinking – the Pac-12 and USC were in, or the Pac-10 and USC were in awfully good shape that they could kind of uh, direct the future 
and it was something that USC didn't exactly get out in front of, but uh, they may end up in a fairly good place, you know, anyway, uh, as it turns out, uh, because the Pac-12, despite uh, however, you know, people were thinking uh, the Pac-12 looked, uh, it's got, you know, probably the driving force in all of this nationally, and, and may end up in the best uh, in the best place nationally and uh, with a conference that pretty much uh, goes two-thirds of the country, you know, from in three time zones. And that was always one of the problems with the Pac-12 or the Pac-10. They were in one time zone that was three time zones away from the East Coast. They could end up with a Pac-16 now that basically covers uh, – you know, uh, two thirds of the country from you know uh, the Midwest out and the Southwest out, and covers three time zones, which makes uh, programming and, and game availability and all that really good. Uh, you know, for the conference, there w- there won't be any other conference remotely able to cover you know that many time slots, for example, and uh, and that's what they're looking for. They're looking for live programming, the kind of stuff you can't get anywhere else. Uh, that's what networks want and that's what advertisers want and the Pac twelve, you know, is probably gonna be in the best position to to offer that. Uh life is uh, probably pretty good if you're in the Pac twelve going to the Pac sixteen possibly right now. Yeah, we'll get some news on all of that. And uh speaking of news, um you you know, we get a, a brief reprieve I guess from football on Mondays. There's no practice on Mondays at USC, but Lane Kiffin did have a conference call yesterday. We'll find out some more stuff, you know, maybe tomorrow, later in the week or whatever. There's all kinds of rumors going about the expansion for the Pac-16. But there's supposed to be some news with Armand Armstead on Tuesday, according to what Lane Kiffin said. What what was going on there? Well, they, they did have uh, the uh, – Lane last week talked about they were going to have the first meeting, and everybody saw Gus Armstead was in, uh, uh, you know, last Wednesday. And uh, then uh, uh, Lane said they're going to have one more meeting – uh, which one would only guess might be today, and uh, that he'll have news for us Tuesday. And, and you know, we could speculate all we want. I just don't think it's the kind of, uh, you know, place where you, you want to speculate when you're dealing with, you know, a kid's, uh, you know, whole life and health and well-being and future and, and, and all the kinds of difficult medical issues. And, I mean, what I, I find interesting sometimes are, this is a difficult issue for the doctors who really, really seem to, know, you know, obviously are, you know, in there on a daily basis and, you know, dealing with the case and know the case. And it's clearly difficult for them. Uh, for us sitting outside here to try to speculate on what it means, what should happen, what, you know, all of that, I, I just find, you know, mind-boggling that, that people would have a, a really strong opinion one way or the other there. I, I just think you just have to let it develop, uh, you know, trust, uh, you know, the people that are involved, you know, to make their, all the right decisions for the right reasons, know how difficult it must be, and uh, and let it go from there. But uh, I, I would find it very difficult to uh, be doing any second-guessing of anybody in, involved in this situation. It certainly looks like everybody's tried to do the right thing for the right reasons, and uh, we're just gonna gonna let it play out and 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 just see what happens. But I, I, you know, from from everything you can tell, it certainly looks like USC has you know institutionally done this in a way 
that uh, that Armand comes first. Uh, his health and, and well-being and all of that seems to be uh, more of a factor than you know than anything than than you know than what's good for the football team or what's good for recruiting or whatever. That doesn't seem to be driving this uh, this and, 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 and to me that's a really good thing. All right. Uh, well, let's get to some questions. You know, we're wishing uh, Armand the best, and uh, I think it'd be great for the defensive line rotation. Obviously, it comes back, so we'll have to wait and see what the announcement is on Tuesday. Um, we got a bunch of questions on the game. David had sent one in about the uh, Robert Woods helmet play, and I actually put some video up. I put a link on uscfootball.com and tweeted it out and put it on our Facebook fan page, uh, facebook.com slash uscfootball.com. Uh, spell it all out. Um, sorry, what was it? No, wait. I think it's, it's facebook.com slash inside Troy. I don't have to look at that. Sorry about that. But if you do search for uscfootball.com, you'll see it on Facebook. Um, it's David says, on a play where we lost yardage because Woods' helmet came off, why wasn't Syracuse penalized for a shoulder to the head that knocked off the helmet? Why didn't the whistle blow when his helmet came off? And how does moving the ball back to where the helmet came off make any sense unless you also penalize Syracuse for tackling Woods after the helmet came off? Well, I think it's a perfect example of how people sometimes uh, make rules up just to justify their being on a rules-making committee. They have no idea what they're doing, no clue about how it's going to work, and then they forget to tell the officials exactly how to do it. So it was a combination of everybody. Uh, so underperforming here. Uh, for example, I know they sit around in some room somewhere and say, yeah, we should protect those guys. So if the helmet comes off, the play stops immediately. Yeah, well, what if the officials don't blow the whistle, which is why I thought the video was so good, because you can clearly hear there's no whistle blown until he's down, you know, two seconds after he's lost his helmet and gets blasted by some defensive player. Uh, you know, there's a penalty that ought to be, you know, inflicted on the uh, Big East officials who don't know, who obviously didn't know what they were doing, didn't have a clue. And then, so here's how we resolve it: we take yards away. We don't protect the guy that loses his helmet. We don't do anything to the people that hit him, but we take yards away from the team that you know has already been, you know, hurt a couple of times on by the uh, miscarriage of the of the rule. Really, a good example of, uh, of, of of unintended consequences of a bad rule. Uh, sure, you want to protect a guy who loses his helmet, but if the uh, you can't, you know, penalize Syracuse for hitting him if there's no whistle, uh, you know, they can't trust the officials to do the right thing, uh, so they have to tackle Robert. Uh, I don't think anybody knew the rule, to be honest with you, and then to enforce the rule, you know. Five minutes after the play's over, after a conference, and say, "Yeah, let's penalize the guy whose helmet got knocked off by taking the yards away from him. We didn't protect him. We didn't keep him from getting clobbered, but let's take those yards away." Yeah, that that was really a good good uh, good way to handle that. I mean, it was just it's just as bad as you can do in making a new rule. And you would hope that the people on the rules committee were meeting this weekend to say. What can we do to make this better? Because we, we did everything wrong here. Just my take. I, <laughs> I think a lot of people agree with you on that one. And you, know, you can see the video. Definitely check it out um, on uscfootball.com. So we just put the clip up of that. I also put it on 
uh, I put up this morning uh, highlights of the whole game. So we get we can put up three minutes of highlights that I shot from the sidelines. You can see that there. There's another clip of Barkley doing that stiff arm. So some yeah. those are great. I mean, those are terrific, and and it really does clarify it for you when you you say, "I don't think I heard a whistle." I don't think I, and then you listen to it uh, as you watch the replay, and you realize, "Yep, there wasn't any whistle." You know, there was his helmet, and there's no whistle stopping the play. Uh, and uh, they need to do a better job on that. But again, don't blame the Pac-12 guys there. You know, they could get a lot of blame for the Utah game that. We we're not exactly sure where those guys came from because that was not a a crew that we'd seen very much at all. Uh, they were mostly new guys, but uh, we hadn't seen them. But this uh, this crew was Big East, uh, which means I guess the Pac-12 guys get to go to uh, New York next year and uh, and do the game at the Meadowlands when when USC goes back to Syracuse. But uh, but that one, the Pac uh, Pac-12 doesn't uh, catch the grief for that game. No. Um, okay, well, let's move on. This is interesting. We're going to talk about some of the freshmen that played here in a second, but this is specifically about Kyle Prater. He uh, he wrote in, this is my Kyle Prater countdown clock. He now has 48 games left where he can play. You're too young to remember R.C. Owens, but Dan might remember him. He was famous in the very early 60s for the alley-oop pass. The San Francisco 49ers used to drive everyone nuts with it. He'd run down in the end zone, and Y.A. Tittle would just toss up an alley-oop pass to him. Owens would just jump up and catch it. No one could jump as high as he could. It was wildly successful. What made it especially effective was that they would do it very early in the ball game. It was so easy that it would that really demoralized the other team. I'm thinking this would be perfect for Kyle Prater. I've seen pictures of him stretched out. I doubt there's anyone who could outreach him. So I don't know. It's probably before your time, Dan, but what do you think about all that? Oh, no, I definitely remember, uh, yeah, R.C. Owens was, uh, we, you know, in those, uh, a lot of it, probably when he was playing, you didn't have as many NFL games televised nationally, but you, you always, yeah, we always knew just because he was the first guy that did it. But uh, USC did a lot of that uh, in, uh, you know, last year and this year a little bit. I mean, uh, you know, worked on, uh, you know, uh, the thought that, that Kyle would be a goal line threat and would be able to catch the ball in a crowd, and he did. I mean, Kyle, one of the things about Kyle, he may not have the, you know, 20 pounds uh, that Mike Williams had on him, but he, he uh, I think he did a lot of it in high school. Uh, he was a big rebounder. I think he played in that, you know, Chicago Suburban League where they played pretty darn good football pretty physical football, and, uh, you know, so I think he really kind of uh, relishes that. I think one of the issues would be uh, his release at the line of scrimmage. I think that's, uh, you know, where you might be able to get skimmed up a little bit, uh, but I don't think that's something they haven't thought about or haven't worked on. I, I think uh, and if he, you know, works his way in where, you know, he's able to contribute as a blocker and, 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 and you know, really feels comfortable running a lot of stuff, I don't think there's any question you will see that. Uh, he, uh, you know, just has because he, he can also, you know, elevate, jump, got the long arms and long hands, and uh, and uh, I don't think they'll hesitate to do that. Uh, I don't know that they've uh, they focused on it as much right now, but, uh, I, you know, look for that to happen if once Kyle starts, you know, uh, playing more. And, uh, you know, and, and he's gradually getting there. I mean, he's just a little bit, but... Uh, uh, I, I think the release is the thing they'd want to make sure 
that he isn't able to be jammed up at the line of scrimmage uh, so that you, you know, if you're going to run that play, you, you absolutely have to get the guy, uh, you know, into the end zone. Uh, well, so we talked, Kyle Prater was out there a little bit um, yes. in the yeah. game. What, but what about some of the other freshmen that were out there playing? Well, Lane, you know, talked about, I mean, he talked about how thrilled he was that he, he singled out five and, you know, four of them were the, uh, you know, basically the, you know, redshirt freshmen, but, uh, you know, like uh, Hayes Pillard and Deion Bailey are their two shining examples of guys that they decided, you know, uh, let's move Deion to that, uh, you know, uh, kind of hybrid outside, you know, semi-safety, semi, uh, you know, outside linebacker. And he's played so well. Hayes played, you know, great last week, is up to 230 pounds. So I think they start with those two guys. Then they, they toss in, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Marquise Lee. Just, I mean, uh, it's just amazing. Some of the stuff he's doing is a, is a true freshman, and uh, not, you know, the number one guy necessarily that you know was coming in. And now that he's the guy that you know benefiting from. Uh, uh, you know, the the kind of – if you see on the highlights, for example, you see the safety just having to shade Robert and just, you know, take a look at Robert, uh, you know, and then you see, you know, Randall Telfer, you know, takes it – I should throw in the two tight ends also, Randall Telfer and Xavier Grimble. But you're seeing single coverage on, on Marquise, or you're seeing in the case of Randall Telfer's uh, touchdown, basically no coverage because the safety kind of drifts over to Robert – and Randall, you know, just runs that streak right down the, you know, the seam. And uh, so those were the five that Lane, I think, is, you know, just absolutely, uh, you know, thrilled with. And then, you know, you've got a guy like a Marcus Martin, the first uh, offensive guard in seven years to start as a true freshman. And, you know, he, he hung in there and he battled and battled. And as Lane said, you know, you got to think the offensive line is, is much improved just from one week to the next if you, if you rack up 500 501 yards offense and 175 on the ground and uh, one sack. Uh, so, uh, you know, and I think, you know, Andre Walker got to play more. Uh, you know, we are seeing more, uh, you know, Trey Madden on special teams. Uh, you're seeing more guys that, uh, that are working their way in. And, and I think, uh, you know, they're very happy. I, I would guess now if they had to do it over again, they might have played some of them a little bit more the first couple of games and probably wish they would have, you know, uh, made some calls that, that would have not made those games as close as they were, so they could have. But, uh, but I mean, they're really uh, they're excited about these freshmen, and, and this is a young team, honest to gosh. When you go out there, that's what I think hit me after the game Saturday on the, on the turf at the Coliseum, and you're looking around, and every one of these kids you want to talk to is, is so young. And... Uh, I don't think I've ever had that sense after a USC game uh, as, as as the other night. And just looking at, you know, Marcus Martin still 17 years old, you know, Marquise Lee just in his third, you know, college game ever. And uh, you just think, wow, this is a really, really young team. And they're expecting, you know, these kids to, to make plays, which one of the things that makes it really interesting uh, going into Tempe Saturday is, is how do they respond, uh, you know, to that first road game, and, and this ought to be, this ought to be interesting. It certainly should be. Um, yeah, it's going to be a great one. We'll see. You know, three and zero USC going in there trying to win their second Pac-12 game. Uh, here's one from David. 
Actually, two questions, one for Gerard and one for you, Dan. Since uh, Gerard's not here, I'll take the recruiting one. Um, we're not going to have Gerard on this week. We'll hopefully get him back on again uh, next week. But he wants to know what does the recruitment and commitment of Chad Wheeler, who's the offensive tackle defensive end from Santa Monica, uh, tell us about the staff confidence about reeling in some of the higher-profile offensive linemen. I just want to let people know there's a lot of four- and five-star really good talent out here on the West Coast, especially for the class of 2012. I think the, the coaches are still very confident in, in getting a bunch of those good guys. I don't think getting Wheeler is because, oh, there's I – don't, I don't want people to read into it that they feel like they've lost some of these other stud offensive linemen. It really was about they want to try to bring in a few early enrollees if they can. And Chad Wheeler was a guy that if he was going to be able to get in early, uh, he looks like more of a project, really tall. He's like 6'6". Um, definitely needs to put on some weight. I put video up on uscfootball.com so you can kind of see him playing both sides of the ball. But it really was because he was going to get an early, uh, you know, he was going to be an early enrollee, a midterm guy. That's why he got the scholarship offer. So don't read into anything about that. So no worries there. And then uh, for Dan, are Pullard and Lee as good as they look? They appear to be budding superstars, at least from where I sit in Tunnel 6, David. And yeah, I mean, Dan Pullard, I mean, I, when I was filming the game, it seemed like he was making every, like, the first four or five tackles, like, they were all made by him. Well, I mean, he's, the, the nice thing is he looks like a safety, but he weighs 230 pounds now. I mean, he's put on some weight, and he certainly hasn't lost any speed, and he does make that kind of, you know, initial contact where he just drops people. I mean, he just hits you at the kneecaps, and, and you're down. Uh, you know, he's just it's a thrill to watch him. I mean, you know, he, you know, had that little knee surgery and that and didn't get to really show us that much. Uh, he's, he's a confident kid. You know, he just doesn't look as big as he is. He, uh, and he, I think partly because he runs so well, I mean, he, you know, he looks like he could be a fullback or a really quick fullback. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, yes, he's, he's playing that well. I mean, he just really is playing that well. Marquise Lee, I don't even I I don't know what to say when I watch him do things. I'm thinking I'm I'm watching some NFL guy. Uh, he just does there. He does things uh, that are physically mature, uh, that are instinctive. I mean, he'll pivot. He'll pivot away from uh, you know a defender and uh, catch the ball and pivot away in one motion. And he's got that long stride, and he just. He uh, he plays bigger than he actually is, more than any player I think I've ever seen. I mean, uh, he he honestly might not be quite, you know, six feet tall. Um, doesn't have to be, and yet when you watch him out there, there you can't believe he's not, uh, you know, six one or or so, and he just got a wide body. But he's lean, uh, got you know really good hands. He takes a pounding, and yet. As you saw on the uh, on a touchdown, he can put it in that high gear and just run right past somebody. And uh, I would think it's going to be interesting to see when people watch him on film how they're going to play him now and how they're going to play both, uh, uh, you know, Marquise and Robert. Uh, it's going to be a problem, I think. And, and I think the fact that USC is much more confident in throwing the ball and just letting him run out underneath and catch it and, and Matt's confident – uh, that they can take those kinds of shots downfield, uh, what a difference that makes in the USC offense. But, yeah, 
you know, you're looking at two kids that are, you know, brand new kids that uh, are just, uh, you know, can't be playing any better than, than they are. And uh, that's what's uh, probably, you know, the thing that people around the country look at, and it might even be a factor in this whole Pac-16 you know, uh, uh, expansion, is you look at L.A., and those kinds of kids, uh, Marquise Lee, for example, who might be as good as any kid going into the Southeastern Conference this year or any conference anywhere, you know, could, you know, take a bus ride to the USC campus, you know, and just here he is and not necessarily the most heralded player in L.A. or, you know, in the country, and uh, he's available there. Or Marcus Martin, another, you know, those kinds of kids are available here and, and maybe not anywhere else uh, where, you know, they can just be, uh, you know, down the street or around the corner. And uh, here they are. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure that anywhere else in the country you have access to kids like that who could, you know, basically, again, ride the bus to practice. Uh, and so, uh, but, uh, yep, those freshmen are that good. Yes. Certainly. Yes. I think a lot of people agree. And it's, it's amazing, Dan, to see some of those guys flying around out there. What did you think of the linebacker play? And I've had, I talked to someone on the sidelines and they were like, you know, cause you have Dion Bailey out there playing as red for red shirt, freshman Hayes Pollard. And, um, you, you got some young guys, even when, uh, Lamar Dawson would come in there and play. It seems to me that the tackling is a little more sure. You know, it seems like they're, they're getting to, the edges, when, when guys get outside, they're fast enough, athletic enough. They're not as big as some of the other guys that USC's had in the past, but they're able to get out there and put a stop to those plays. And you're, you're seeing some really good open field tackles. And just wanted to kind of get your assessment of how those linebackers are doing. Well, and that's what the theory was, that uh, after looking at last year and, you know, how many open field you know, tackles, and a lot of that was, was you had to factor in that they weren't doing it in practice and they weren't taking the proper full-speed angles and all of that kind of thing. But, uh, uh, I mean, I think they realized this isn't the NFL. You have to be able to defend sideline to sideline. You have a lot of, you know, offenses that are, you know, pretty much designed just to get the ball out quick, get it out, you know, wide, uh, get you know to a guy who can uh, you know get a, a few more yards uh, after uh, you know after the catch. Syracuse certainly did that. You know that that Ryan Nassib really got rid of the ball quickly. I thought he had a terrific night uh, against them, and and still they they hung in there. Other than on the you know the one long drive where they kind of you know and, and they had the one breakdown in the trick play, and then the one long drive where they were, you know, maybe uh, more uh, uh, conservative and soft than, than you would like to see them. But, uh, uh, you know, I think the experiment to go to quickness and to go to athleticism uh, and, and to be able to have guys that can play in the open field, I think, has, has pretty well, uh, you know, been validated that that's the way they have to go. And so you end up with guys that are, Sort of hybrids, uh, you know, between uh, big, strong safeties and uh, and very quick outside linebackers, and uh, you know, uh, it'll be interesting because they're bringing in some of the bigger, classic, more classic guys next year in the recruiting class at linebackers. So, be an interesting, uh, you know, combination. And you've got so many young guys uh, that are, you know, going to have a lot of years playing that uh, you have to like the, the looks of that. The only thing that that you have to watch out for is these guys are so quick and they can pursue, you know, really well 
and they all want to make plays uh, that at times they may get out of their lanes a little bit. They may get a little unbalanced where uh, everybody tries to make the play, and then uh, if the play comes back around, uh, you know, opposite where it looked like it was going or, it looked, or a guy bounces outside, and you may have too many guys on one side of the ball. Uh, and that happens occasionally, and it, it's what you would expect with young players, but uh, young, very quick players who really, really pursue well. Uh, you know, at times guys maybe don't stay at home as much as they should, but it's kind of one of the, the, the things you've got to accept with, uh, with these kinds of players. You take the pluses, and then you realize, you know, there might be an occasion where somebody's really going to come down inside when he needed to stay outside and maintain leverage uh, on the play, and, uh, and, you know, they'll give up some yards, and I think Dion felt like he did that, you know, early uh, and was kind of uh, in a makeup mode the rest of the game uh, uh, for a play that he uh, – thought he'd, he'd gotten, uh, you know, he went the wrong direction and, and they got, you know, an extra 15 yards or something. And uh, he said he played with a chip on his shoulder after that the rest of the game. But, but I think that's the downside. But it's not a great downside compared to all the pluses uh, of goal. I, I think, and it's also the coaches truly, it's a point of pride of the coaches that they think they made the right call here because uh, I know they, you know, discussed what do we have to do to be more of a college defense and what do we you know have to do to be more prepared to play the you know the organs and what have you of this world and uh, this is what they chose to do and it and, you know with Pace Pillard and Deion Daly you think okay we got that one right <laughs> and I think they did yeah Kennard the middle linebacker maybe not right uh, Pullard and, uh, and Bailey <laughs> not so bad um yeah. Well, I want to thank you, Dan, for coming on, and I just let the people let people know if you're up on peristylepodcast.com right now, you can see our uh, uStream uh, USCFootball.com TV show with Matt Barkley, which I thought was one of our, our best ones, and Dan comes on there as well, and it was a lot of fun to, Matt sat down with us for like 45 minutes and answered questions from everybody, and so that's definitely on peristylepodcast.com if you missed it. We did it last, uh, we did it on Thursday before the Syracuse game, but Matt was great, and it was fun to uh, talk to him. I know you had a good time on that one, Dan. Yeah, I mean, the thing you notice, and that's having done that and then realizing uh, after the game and talking to all the young guys, you realize talking to Matt's like talking to one of the coaches. <laughs> I mean, it's like he's been around so long, and you've talked to him, you understand how he thinks, you realize, uh, you know, Matt is, uh, you know, he's only a junior, just turned 21, but Matt's in a different place. Uh, you know, from these young kids, and it's it's interesting. You can, you talk to Matt in one way, and you talk to these kids in another way, and uh, it's an interesting team. Uh, you know, I honestly don't remember a USC team quite like this one, uh, and uh, it, it's kind of you know, it's like, well, let's see what happens today, and let's see what happens in this game, and there's just a whole lot of uh, of, of stuff that's probably going to happen week to week to week. I mean, I think Matt himself is kind of like. You know, this is interesting. I'm going to watch these guys and see how it goes. But because a lot of stuff they're doing, you haven't seen them do before, and they haven't done before. And uh, you know, we're all kind of just watching the same thing and seeing what happens. All right. Well, great stuff, Dan. We appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll look forward to what you report uh, coming from Tempe next week at uh, when USC takes on Arizona State. Should be fun. All right. Well, thanks, Dan, thanks. and thanks everyone for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back again. 
next week with another great show talking all about the USC Trojans. You've been listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on parastylepodcast.com or search for Parastyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.